Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. In studio with us is mayoral candidate. We're going to have him here till 630. Uh, he is Brad Bradford. Can the mayor of Toronto do anything about all this? We've seen this, all this, all these home clinching game losses, Boston, Montreal, Tampa. Can the mayor, you're a big Leafs fan. Can you do anything? Is there any kind of legislation? Can you well, ban people from the city or anything? Well, we haven't seen previous administrations have much success they with haven't. that. It's a good point. Right. Yeah, you're so, right. So, but as a as a strong mayor of action, I certainly will do everything I can do to uh, you know ensure Saturday night we bring home the W. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, look, a little cross border shopping. Um, you saw yesterday. Let's let's get it, just some generals because I want to talk about bail compliance. I saw what the federal government did. There is movement on this. You would remember the premiers went to basically David Lametti, the justice minister, and said doesn't matter what political stripe we are. We all need help on this. But um, we're about three and a half weeks into this process. It still feels early. But I want to know where where you see sort of the, the, the landscape, where you see your message being heard um, and how much there is. How, like we're going to flip to May in the calendar next week. And I'm sure some real digging begins into May, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was exciting about the the bail compliance announcement uh, from the premier yesterday. We had obviously called for that uh, in my campaign a number of weeks ago. Uh, so that was big news. But the campaign in general is it's a great opportunity to go across the city and hear from Torontonians about the issues that they're facing, their challenges, but also their hopes and their aspirations for this city. And, um, you know, a lot of people are really frustrated. They feel like Toronto is at a breaking point. They feel like the city has never been less affordable. It's less safe and it's harder to get around. And our campaigning is really talking about the issues that matter most to people. We are talking about affordability. We're talking about community safety. And we seem to be the only campaign that's talking about how we're going to manage the gridlock that has a stranglehold around Toronto right now. So when we have those conversations, the message resonates. Uh, it is a big campaign and it's a big operation to stand up all across the city of Toronto. When you think about the different elected offices that people run for, there is no bigger race in the country than running for mayor in the city of Toronto. It would be uh, far bigger than any riding that any individual runs for. So we're having a lot of fun. We're listening carefully. Our mes- message is resonating. And uh, what do we have? 59 days or something to not, go. Who, not that you're counting. No. <laughs> um, you're in Beaches, East York. Um, I, I think that's a very politically active riding. Um, do you get polling and go here we are in this writing here we are in that writing like has it got sort of broken down into demographics can you even see age demographics male female demographics are you digging in on those numbers yet already yeah you know what all of the campaigns are doing their research and um, you look at those sorts of uh, those sorts of metrics the polls that come out publicly uh, you know, sometimes you have to take those with a grain of salt, which is why each- a shaker of salt when yeah. there's like 48 percent of people are undecided. You're right. like, this isn't telling me. Anything. Right. And you know what? It's it's also a good reference point when you have conversations with with people across the city. There are people that don't even know there's an election underway. And and that's fine because they're busy with their lives. There's a lot going on and it's still it's still early. We haven't even turned the clock on May yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's a lot of time to go. I think as this thing heats up and we get into the debates, um, you know, that's like the playoffs. You get into the yeah. playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, and certainly as we move into the the summer months and June, the lawn signs start going up. Torontonians will engage, but it's early. Um, so you made this announcement first about what you wanted with uh, with bail compliance uh, and bail compliance units with the Toronto Police Service. You made this announcement eight days ago. So yesterday it gets announced that uh, that this is going to transpire. 
that has to feel good. That has to feel um, like you're you're making an impact and you're making a statement that, you know, again, nothing will be universally popular. Nothing any candidate mentions is getting 100 percent approval. But I think enough people got behind this and said, yeah, as far as a resource for the police, we're asking them to be mental health counselors and we're asking them to reunite families. The minimum we should also do is be checking in on people accused of dangerous crimes. It's just that simple. That's right. This is common sense. And I think that's why the the reception is is fairly positive across the board. Um, you know, there's a problem with bail enforcement and our our hearts are still breaking from what we've seen over the past number of months, incidents where you have violent offenders out on bail, they repeat, lives are lost, people don't feel safe and, and safety has to be such a top priority in this city. I hear it every day. So if you try and work the problem, well, the problem is you have a justice of the peace at the province that imposes bail conditions. You know, the, the alleged violent offender is out in the community all across the city and in fact across the province the resources are not there for local police services to do that bail compliance check-in and i've talked to lots of frontline officers and they tell me all the time you know we have 17 divisions here in the city of toronto for police stations sometimes they can get around to doing that work but not to the degree uh that they are actually able to competently enforce the bail restrictions because they just don't have time so we mm-hmm. called uh, we called for that in our campaign of last last week and it was really reassuring and you know i sent the premier a text last night just to say hey Great announcement. Thank you for your commitment. Looking forward to working with you on that. We will stand up at uh, bail compliance enforcement units here in Toronto. As mayor, that's going to be a top priority. Obviously, it's a priority for the province, and uh, we're going to make our community safer together. And Ontario kicking in money is just urgently needed. Every bit of money from the province and federal government, even the electric buses this week, every little bit's going to help the city of Toronto in the next 12, 18 months, get get back on their feet, really, because we're, we're pretty staggered financially right now, aren't we? That's right. And and in our case, we had announced 68 additional officers to be able to roll this program out across the city. The province announced $24 million uh, for local governments to help build this program. And so, again, as I said at the time, I'm sure the premier and the province would be willing to invest in this because it's shared priorities around community safety. And yesterday's announcement confirmed what I had said and called for last week. They are there at the table and we'll work together on community safety. Is is there a careful line between having, you know, uh, those out on bail check in and surveilling them and, and spying on them? I'm sure people have brought that to you. What is sort of that that balancing act so we make sure we're not... <laughs> following people to the grocery store and hiding behind an aisle or, or looking at somebody when they're going just to a restaurant to meet a family member. What's that line? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it there is a line, but there are restrictions imposed by the provincial justice of the peace that just go unchecked. So if you are a violent offender, if you are out on bail, you know right now the likelihood of somebody stopping by your place of residence and checking in that, in fact, after curfew, you are at home uh, is is slim to none. And as a result, we continually see violent offenders re-offending. And, and that's been the case, you know, so many of the firearm-related homicides over the past number of years, 
time and time again, those are people out on bail that have other firearm or violent related offenses on their record. Mm-hmm. And so we're obviously not doing enough. That's not happening right now. And we need to make sure that the resources are in place to enforce the bail restrictions as they're stated by the justice of the peace. And it seems pretty simple. And I'd make the counterpoint that, boy, we sure had no problem, no problem during the pandemic finding federal funding to say, I'm going to check in on you. Are you isolating for 14 days? Are you where you say you are when you cross the border and said, I'm going to this house? And they said, "Okay, go right there. Don't stop for groceries. Plenty of people had it happen to themselves or know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody where where we did check in. It it was and, and we agreed to that process. We understood that was what we needed to do at the time. It's the simple stuff. That's right. This is common sense. It's been needed for a long time. Uh, thrilled that the, the premier has answered the call. And when I'm mayor, we will stand up the bail enforcement units immediately and get that going. Um, one thing before we get to housing, one thing that we saw yesterday, too, with um, the maximum punishment for gun crimes. And I think this is this is all part of the bigger puzzle with what the province wants to do with what you've brought forward um, with, uh, with with what you want with uh, compliance officers um, is that the Trudeau government proposes increasing a maximum sentence for gun crimes to 14 years. But even as they've said, if the judges don't enforce the sentences, what are we doing? Like there's not much accountability for the judges. We see this in the States all the time. Somebody, whether it's, um, you know, a, a, a sentence for a crime or, um, you know, denying an abortion pill, one judge somewhere can set a legal precedent. This is kind of how we're, we're to the point where the the most notorious convicted criminals still get a parole hearing after 25 years because one judge decided, well, that's what we should do. I mean, the federal government's in on this, but yeah, if judges aren't using the laws on the books, um, we're all going to have to get pretty loud and go, no, that's the law. You got to enforce it as, as proper. That's the key. Uh, we all will need to get loud and make sure that people understand and hear that. And I think that's a that's a question of leadership and for the federal government to step up on that front right now, uh, as they are, I think is really important. If they indicate that that's a priority and that's that's where we need to go, um, people need to hear that message. And it, and it res- resonates through all of our institutions and agencies, uh, province, municipalities, and, and obviously out to uh, to general society. You got to make that crystal clear. This is the direction that we're going. And, and I see this at the city too. You know, different agencies, they might be arm's length from the city, but they still understand that we're all working together to serve serve community. Um, and in this case, if the federal government is is increasing those uh, those minimums, then um, you know we're going to need to see that action carried out through the entire court system. You were working um, very very uh, open open front um, before the last election uh, with the mayor on housing. You talked about delivering the missing middle. I'd ask you now that we're late April of 2023 and a lot of that campaigning was September, October 22, is the problem even more urgent? Is there even more of a crisis than we spotted eight months ago? The pro- the the challenge on housing has never been more acute than it is right now. I hear from young families all the time, folks who are getting off the tarmac at Pearson and they want to, you know, build a business, raise a family here in this country, uh, and yet they're arriving and there's no housing for them. Um, students who are transitioning into the workforce, people who are moving to Toronto because they've got a job, seniors who want to age in their community. Uh, we are experiencing a housing crisis and it gets worse week after week, month after month, year after year. So as the clock runs, 
it's harder and harder to find housing in Toronto. Um, I was able to hold the pen with the mayor on the uh, the housing action plan a few months ago. That's and more homes built faster. It, right. It's the idea of increasing our supply, more options for affordability, and importantly, more types of housing in different neighborhoods. And the things that we're standing up right now, we'll get into multiplex, yeah. even oh. a few short years ago, uh, was was considered impossible. And since I've become the chair of the Planning and Housing Committee this term, we are taking action at speed to deliver more housing for more people in more neighborhoods. I showed you a photo of a four-unit multiplex, and it just um, it's on uh, streetsoftoronto.com. And you mentioned you lived in a place like that in Boston. I lived in a in a house that was you know redesigned into by the by the owner and by the landlord into a three unit scenario. You can make more money that way, but it also allows me in paying less money as rent because I'm sharing a building with with you know two other couples. I think at the time, why why were these banned for as long as they've been banned? Who who laid that down and said no, not in Toronto, but yet as you said, Boston. London, Ottawa, um, Chicago, all these other cities have been able to, to, to make this work and make it more affordable. Why did Toronto say no for so long? It's an interesting question. It goes back to zoning. It's part of the story of amalgamation and, and our official plan in the past 20 years of growth in this city. And, you know, I think sometimes you hear from folks who are frustrated because they point to all of the really tall condos and heavy construction going on. And uh, there's an appetite for something different. But our zoning yeah. bylaw has prohibited that for, for decades here in the city. The idea of missing middle, the idea of multiplex is introducing that gentle density into neighborhoods where it has been excluded for, for many, many years here in the city. And you're right. We are dealing with a housing crisis. Part of that is that we have less than one and a half percent rental vacancy. So if I, I'm looking to get an apartment here, and when I first arrived in the city, uh, you know, a decade ago, it wasn't so hard to find a rental apartment. Mm -hmm. I was at Young and St. Clair, an old apartment building. Rent was relatively affordable. Okay, let's let's get into that number. What do you what did you pay ten years ago? What do you what do you remember? Ten years ago, or this would have been 20, 2011, 2012 ish, I think I was paying eleven fifty. Uh, $1,150 for two bedrooms. It was a large one bedroom because okay. it was an older building. So larger unit. With your partner? Uh, I was, did you just get it by yourself? I then? was on my own then. Okay. And We're getting into the autobiography yeah, no, now. That's yeah, fine. You'll write something. And, yeah, yeah. And it included a parking spot. Uh, oh, that's, yeah. that, that, that's worth 1150 yeah. on its and, own brand. And it included the utilities. Okay. So, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money at the time, but it, it was quite a bit more affordable today. What do you guess you'd pay for that now? Uh, well, now, now, two thousand twenty five hundred. Yeah, twenty five hundred is average market rent here in Toronto. If it's newer construction, you can be three thousand. So the idea oh. of multiplex, where where you have those uh, very modest units in neighborhoods, is that we're increasing that rental supply, so that there's not the bidding wars for a rental unit. And you know, if you're a property owner, if you're a homeowner, it gives you an option to maybe I want to stand one of these modest multiplexes up, and I could live in a unit. My kids could live in a unit. Um, maybe you rent one out, and there's a generational housing element that's really important. And again, you see it in cities across North America. It's time for Toronto to step forward well, with that, and we're doing it. Yeah, and all I hear is the the not in my backyard factor. But I'll tell you what. But Brad, if you owned a business and there were multiplexes on the street, that's good for your business. A convenience store, if you owned a gym, if you owned, um, you know, a physiotherapy uh, uh, business, you'd be like the more people within walking distance, the more people within a five minute drive, 
the more my business is going to thrive. I don't know why we don't see that. I'll tell you what's not good for business is a city where nobody can afford to live here. And that's the risk. Uh, you know, we, we are becoming a city that is less affordable for families. We're becoming a city that's less affordable for seniors on a fixed income. The biggest uh, bill that you have every month is your rent or your mortgage. And so when we talk about affordability, and let me tell you, it is top of mind for Torontonians mm-hmm. right now. One of the best things we can do is increase housing supply so that it's more affordable for more people and they can continue to call Toronto home. Everyone is going to put out a housing plan. Hopefully, most people cost that out. This is your bread and butter. So I'm sure some of the plans so far, you're like, that's not costed out. Or you're like, this one's not bad. You probably roll your eyes at some others. When someone comes to you and says, why is your housing plan? the If housing's the most important issue and it's top of mind for you, why why is your plan better than than the others that you've seen? Well, I'm an urban planner by training. I worked in the chief planner's office at the city of Toronto. I've seen all of the challenges with the divisional silos, the bureaucracy, and ultimately that comes at the expense of housing and delay. It makes housing more expensive. So while there will be people out there that will trumpet big numbers of units, uh, a lot of that, a lot of the time that's fiction. We've had a housing now program for more than five years in the city of Toronto, and it feels like housing never because on 21 sites. 40,000 units in five years, we haven't broken ground on a single site. So it's housing never. And that's a failure in the leadership in in moving those things forward. What I am doing as a professional urban planner and someone who actually worked in the city, I'm identifying the core problems. So why is housing so expensive? Why are these projects so delayed? And I'm fixing the problems within the bureaucracy, within within our application review process to get to housing outcomes faster. It's totally unreasonable for it to take three years to go through a rezoning application. And that adds time and expense to these projects. It means we don't have housing for people to live in, and it means it costs a heck of a lot more money when it finally arrives. I know we got to get uh, we got to get to news, but uh, thank you so much for coming. We'll get to I know transit, cars, subways, all of it. Um, next time you come in, let's cover uh, a ton more ground. But these are really important issues today that we uh, we talked about. Thanks for coming in so early. Thanks so much. Sorry, Frank. the Leafs didn't. I know you know we 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 made it work even with uh, the Leafs having to play on Saturday night. Like we'll get we'll get by. We've seen this movie before. Thanks again for coming in. We'll see you soon. There's Brad Bradford, a candidate for mayor of Toronto. Wants your vote on June 26th. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We've got former city councillor, former deputy mayor and mayoral candidate Anna Bylaw with us in studio. It's great to have you in. Great to be here again. I'm really sorry that we're not celebrating. I saw you post a picture of uh, John Tavares from five years ago when he first signed here. I don't think you're responsible for the loss. I don't think I don't believe in jinxes. No, or curses. Not you're not. I'm going to absolve you right now, but hopefully we get better news. Saturday night or Monday. I'm very optimistic. <laughs> I'm, I'm optimistic. It was a tough night, but you know what? Let's think about Saturday. That's bring right. the positive vibes. Bring the positive energy and uh, support the Leafs. That's right. That's right. I think about um, three weeks ago, it might have been going into Good Friday, was was where Ontario Place, the Science Center, really started to, to you know climb up the news cycle. And I'll admit, some days I'm very much, oh, you know, what more is there to say about this? But I'm really interested in. I think these are massive decisions, both for that community where the science center is right now, uh, where there's housing needed, as you've documented, and also for the waterfront um, development. With where things stand right now, is there any new information about how much housing can be built on that ground? And and I will say the premier has sort of been back and forth. We would knock the building down. We could build housing there, but it's more the parking lot where the housing is going to go. Do I have that right? 
Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, uh, housing is a major issue. Right? I've been talking to people on subway stations, uh, at the doors, and that is one of the issues that people keep talking about, the affordability of living in the city. And so much of their income is now being spent on paying the rent or being able to afford to to buy a home. And mm. so housing is a key issue. And that's why when I talked about the Ontario Place, I questioned why are we spending $500 million to subsidize a private spa when the real issues of Torontonians is housing and its services. And that's why this opportunity of building housing in those parking lots, and nobody's talking about building housing on the ravine. Nobody's talk. I wasn't talking about building housing on the building, which is a heritage building and should be kept. Was that misunderstood at first? Because I will admit I misunderstood it. Like the building's coming down and housing goes right the where premier, the building the, is. The premier did mention it. I, I didn't. When I <laughs> right. first talked, I was very clear that there's two things that we need to bring to that community. Services. And with consultation with the community, uh, really create a hub in that building of services for the community. youth services, senior services, uh, food securities. I really think that we should develop a, a workforce development strategy in that in, in that area as well as we are bringing the affordable housing um, uh, in the parking lot. So uh, work with the community to develop re- a really uh, community hub to serve the, uh, the entire area. And that, that's, that's the priorities of the city is how do you bring services, and how do you build housing? And that land, being government land, being city land, right. it you can create a level of affordability that uh, that is much deeper than anywhere else because it's your land. So you come in as a government with the land. It's also on two transit lines. So you have transit-oriented communities that you can bring affordable housing, that you can bring services, that you can bring jobs. And that plan needs to be developed with the community. But I think there's an opportunity to address an issue that everybody talks about. But then when you start drilling down, to be honest with you, very often people say, oh, yes, we need affordable housing and we need housing, but not here or not there. That's right. Uh, And and we, we need to look for opportunities to build the housing. So youth doesn't get pushed out, so workers don't get pushed out of our city, so that people can still afford to live here. Are the numbers, so the numbers that I read that I think that you brought up were 5,000 units and 1,500 affordable units, so beyond not building on the ravine, not building where the actual building is. It is a big parking lot. I mean, having been there 28 times, I know how big the parking lot is. All that those are the right numbers for the parking lot, right? Those, those are those are the, the, the numbers for the parking lot. Obviously, the design needs to to happen, and like I said, with community consultation. Uh, but it is an estimate of what could be done in two transit lines in in an area that uh, that needs uh, affordable housing. I mean, the whole city needs a, needs yeah. more affordability and needs affordable housing. So we need to be looking for these opportunities, and definitely not thinking about spending $500 million to support uh, a, par- a private company. Let's focus and, and let's have governments working together on the priorities of the city. And this city right now, what people need is affordability yeah. and people need to have their lives made a bit easier and more affordable. So let's clear up what you'd want to do with the building. What do you envision the building being or becoming or being renovated into it's, if it's, it's a heritage building? It's a heritage building. It needs to be uh, a, build, a community hub of services. And 
it needs to be developed with the community. So let's work with the, with those communities uh, and say and and bring programs like youth programs, like seniors programs, uh, food security. You know, there's there's a lot of issues that uh, that we could tackle by having programming. There's a lot of nonprofits that serve that community that need space that could expand their programming as well, and the city could really and the province could really deliver for those communities there. Anna Bylaws in studio with us. Uh, just a reset on six forty Toronto. On Toronto today, you have heard from people in that community that have um, rue, I suppose, is the best word, a lack of public consultation. They do have a point. This does feel like it's moving at a bit of breakneck speed. When you were on city council, I mean, I I don't remember a lot of issues, and that's not on you. That's not that's just a general observation that this wasn't a massive city issue. Oh, what are we going to do with the science center? I have that right, don't I? The massive issue is affordable housing. How do we create opportunities to get affordable housing built? How do we create opportunities to bring services to communities? How do we uplift communities? How do we make the city more affordable? Those are the issues that people uh, are talking about and people want solutions at the table. Is the point valid? There wasn't much public consultation in advance of- There's a solution put at the table saying there's an opportunity here. And as a mayoralty candidate, that's what I'm bringing forward. As a mayor, that's what I, I, I'm very pragmatic and I come with, with solutions to the table. And I, mm. I listen to people and what their issues are. And, and I propose pragmatic, common sense solutions and, and, and have the consultation and have the, the conversation with the community. But this city has an, a housing crisis right now. We've never seen as many people on the streets. We've never no. seen as many youth being pushed out, as many workers having difficult uh, living in the city. We need to be looking at every opportunity to build uh, affordable housing, to build housing, to do it quicker. Uh, that We really need to focus on that. And we need three orders of government to do that. Mm. We need collaboration to do that. And particularly when you have communities around transit, because that has a level of affordability that is brought to that housing, right? It's transit-oriented communities. You need to make sure uh, that you are putting that on the table to create affordable housing. I have heard from, I'm sure you have too, high school teachers. I've heard from parents of young kids who ask the question, are you, are you not taking something out of a community? It's not unlike when a sports franchise moves. You're like, this was here, now it's not. If everything ends up being downtown, the really cool things like the, you know, for parents who would know the aquarium or medieval times or, or a renovated Ontario place outside of the zoo, outside of Canada's Wonderland, what's not downtown for kids to go to and for schools to go to? Well, what we, we have the opportunity to create in that heritage building is services for that community. You can create. But not, worth, not for a, a field trip. No, but you can create the youth program. You can create seniors. You can create a lot more diverse programming for the entire community and create it with them and create it with them. I'm very clear on that. That's why I'm not giving you a full plan in here of what should be going in there. Okay. Let's make sure that we work with the community. We recognize that it is a heritage uh, building, that uh, we need services, we need programming in the community. We need to have a complete community full of services, of small business, of affordable housing. And we have already the transit being built in there. How do we make sure that we work with the community to deliver but that? the community loses something you're saying it gains something that's more important I, I I I think they gain something and 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 listen we we can still work with the science center we can still work with academic institutions that are mm. around the city to bring lots of programming around innovation around science around workforce development uh, for the youth and and people in that neighborhood there's a lot of programming that that 
can be developed in conjunction with the community uh, uh, to, to have it in there. We'll come back more with Anna Bailau on Toronto Today. We've got another segment coming up with her and looking forward to it. Thanks very much for listening today. This is 640 Toronto. You're starting to look into numbers and demographics, who you're doing well with and, and whatnot, um, without asking for specifics. Um, how how deep into the numbers are you? This is we're only in the like mile four of a twenty six mile uh, marathon. It's aren't early. We? It's early days. It's early days. I'm I'm um, very happy with where the campaign is going. Um, connecting with people, listening to people. Um, you know, the the team is growing. I'm happy to see other counselors. You know, we had Councillor Moyes, Councillor Carroll, Councillor. Uh, Ainsley uh, as part of the team, uh, two former mayors uh, this week. That's right. Uh, Barbara yeah. Hall and Art Eggleton came and endorsed uh, me as the next mayor of Toronto. Um, lots of uh, labor support as well. Um, you know, Layuna, the Carpenters Union, Local 416, Local, Local 79, the hospitality workers. Um, uh, also announced my co-chairs uh, in Scarborough, two of the MP. So, Really feeling that uh, the the campaign is is reaching out, is getting support. We're talking about issues that uh, that people know that are important for the city. They 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 want solutions on these issues. I think the union um, the union support is is pretty notable, um, and we've talked about it on the show. And I, I think I think unions have evolved as well to where we even saw this. I would make the case in the provincial election where there was a distinction between public unions and private unions because private unions want to work and they want to build and they want to be involved in infrastructure. I'd say there especially there's especially an evolution after after COVID and restrictions where things couldn't get built and we fell behind on everything. Like every single thing we fell down on and that inc- or fell behind on and that includes infrastructure. Clearly we see this with all the projects in the city right now. We kind of are trying to do one year like one year three years of projects in 6 8 months. We really are. And I, and I have both. I have the public unions and I have uh, private mm-hmm. unions. And I think what resonates with them is my focus on uh, delivering better services and this the issue of affordability. They want to make sure that their life, the the lives of their members, you know, are are made e- easier and that they can receive good services and they can provide good services. That uh, that mm-hmm. they're part of uh, of of the solution of providing good services uh, in in the city as well. So I think that's that's why they're supporting me. They know that I'm pragmatic, coming with solutions, and I'm tackling the issues that are important for Torontonians. One thing someone said, and I would make the case they're they're pretty prominent, they're influential, they'd kill me if I used their name, but they said, what they like about your campaign is you're not, like, you're about pro getting around the city easier. Like, there's some candidates that kind of lean towards heavily towards transit. Some candidates that kind of lean heavily towards the automobile. But you've done a little bit of both in your platform. You recognize some people have to drive. You recognize some people have a, a minivan full of kids and they got to get them places. And, and the TTC is impractical. And you recognize that, especially with issues of safety, some people have told their kids um, drive here instead in a perfect scenario. Once we get a lot of this cleaned up and fixed. That's a different story. Is that like when I say pragmatism, that? Pragmatism. Pragmatism. Yeah, yeah. Bring solutions to the table. We have a growing city. We need to make sure that we have a safe and reliable TTC. That's why I've put forward a platform to bring the services back, reverse those cuts, bring more people into the TTC, make sure we have more cameras, make sure we have Wi-Fi on the TTC because we need to bring people back to the TTC. But obviously people also drive. People also move goods around this city. So we we need to make sure that we address all these issues. It's not an us versus them. I'm about getting the city 
to provide the better services, getting the city to work, uh, not about ideology. Mm -hmm. I'm about pragmatism and how do we solve the issues. And I think that's why you see so much support from so many different sectors because I think people just want things to work. They want us to come back from this pandemic with our services to address the issues that are important to them. They want somebody pragmatic, somebody that is a doer that roll up the sleeves and mm -hmm. get things done. And that's that. That's my approach. I've been approaching that uh, for 12 years as a city councilor, five as uh, as deputy mayor, and and that. It's my approach as as mayor. Anna Bylaw's in studio with us on 640 Toronto. I showed you a photo of a multiplex um, that looks like a four-unit multiplex that that I lived in at one point in London, Ontario. And I showed it to, to other candidates, too. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. What on earth would be the problem with a building like this? Um, there's clearly a, a demand for it, but there still seems to be either that sort of NIMBY community resistance. But I'd also ask why in previous iterations of City Hall, we didn't move on multiplexes faster. It only seems to make sense that neighborhoods need these and we need to put people in them. Uh, we are moving into creating more housing options. It started with the approval of laneway housing, which has been in effect for a few years. I'm very proud to have led those efforts. Laneway housing, coach housing is approved. And that is about creating more options for people. And let me tell you that the impact that this has on people's lives. When you hear somebody saying, you know what, I can now help my kids to have their own apartment because I was able to build something, a laneway housing, or now I'm going to be able to have a multiplex and, mm -hmm. and be able to live in the neighborhood that I grew up, or I'm going to be able to downsize and, and, and be able to help my kids by creating this. That's really what we're talking about. It, it, the impact that it can have on our neighborhoods it's actually about making sure that the people that lived, that used to live in those neighborhoods, can continue to live in there. It's about creating housing options, more housing for mm -hmm. people uh, in a growing city, uh, and uh, and making sure that uh, that our neighborhoods uh, uh, continue mm -hmm. to have the people that uh, have been there for uh, decades and decades. That that that's that's mm -hmm. about an inclusive city. That's what it is. Uh, Oliver Moore covers the city for the Globe and Mail, and his tweet yesterday inbox. Bylaw campaign alleges that Matlow, that's Josh, uh, plagiarizing Penalosa, that's Gil, policies from last fall. Some of their cited examples, which I have not independently verified, look pretty damning. Perhaps worth noting, Matlow's comms person worked on Penalosa campaign. Um, accurate description of, of your pointing towards Josh Matlow and saying you're taking an idea and, and verbiage that's not you yours? You know, ideas come from everywhere, right? We all are talking about ideas. Some ideas have been around for a long time. That is very different from actually copying and pasting entire paragraphs of somebody that ran for mayor a few months ago that is not even endorsing you. And I think that's just needed to be cleared out. So is it sloppy or is it something that's a little more than just just like take the time, dot the I's, cross the T's? How do you view it? Uh, I, I view it as somebody that uh, that actually took entire paragraphs of policies, uh, call it their own and uh, did not give credit where credit is due from somebody that is even supporting another mayoralty candidate, not their own candidate. Right, which point out Gil Penalosa supporting Olivia Chow. Um, I got a minute here. What do you want the debates to look like? What, what should they What should they be? We have 50-some candidates. That's chaotic. 12 people on the same stage at the same time might be chaotic. In, in Anna Bylow's world, how do you visualize the first debate? Uh, I want the debates to be about the ideas for the issues that uh, that people are 
uh, really caring about, about how uh, we're going to bring more services to the people of the city, about, uh, you know, how do we address uh, the affordability issue in the city, Mm -hmm. um, how you're going to work with the other orders of government. You know, if anybody is going to tell you that the transit that we need in the city, the funding that we need for the city, the housing that we need for the city can be done without working uh, and standing up for the city with the other orders of government, they're not being honest with you. So we really need to understand who's going to be bringing the pragmatic, the common sense approach, who's going to stand up, but at the same time, be able to work with the province and the federal government right. to deliver the housing that we need, to deliver the transit that we need, to deliver the services that we need. From a practical perspective, since we talked about pragmatism, do we cut off polling at a certain point and say, these are the eight people in the debate? Do we have six candidates on one night, six on another? I think every organization is going to be uh, um, looking at uh, at how how to do that. There's going to be conversations, obviously, with the campaigns. We can't have 53 people in one debate, obviously. So I think every campaign will be working with mm. the organizers to to ensure that we have healthy debates and and that, uh, most importantly, Torontonians get engaged in this very important election on June 26th. She is Anna Bailau. She wants your vote June 26th to be the next mayor of Toronto. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Have a great weekend. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Guess what? He's running for mayor. We only have guests who are running for mayor, uh, usually. Uh, He is Toronto mayoral candidate uh, and from True North, uh, Anthony Fury, and he joins us in studio. I don't think you've been in studio since you first announced. How's everything been going? It's going great, Greg. Feeling really energized, meeting so many people. And the one thing I keep saying is, man, Toronto is an amazing city full of amazing people. I mean, what a privilege to run for mayor and sit down with just so many folks from different walks of life and different backgrounds. And you're sharing a meal with them and they're inviting you into their homes. Like, wow, this this has been an awesome experience. You should do this next time, sir. Oh, my heavens. Um, <laughs> I, I said, I'm throwing my phone into Lake Ontario around 9.02 this morning. So if something happens, I won't know about it. Um Before we get to your news of the morning, um, and it's going to get a lot of attention, it's getting it already, but I think it's going to build and swell throughout the day. I just asked um, Anna Bailow, I said, what do you want the debates to look like in person? What does Anthony Fury want the debates to look like in person? I think the people who have a clear vision for this city should be the ones duking it out. How do we decide who that is? Olivia Chow has a very clear left-wing, far left-wing vision, tearing down the gardener, bike lanes everywhere. She's going to tax everything, I'm sure. Anthony Fury, feet planted firm. I'm unapologetic about who I am and the things that I'm standing up for in terms of no more drug injection sites, Greg. Uh, None of these tax increases. Municipal sales tax. Bilal, Bradford, Matlow, they all voted to proceed with that. That's crazy talk. None of that. Those of us who have a clear vision, you want a clear contrast? Fury versus Chow. That's the contrast. Everyone else is wishy-washy. I think we have to invite more than two people. I think we have to invite more than two people to the the debate. At the end of the day, we'll draw straws then. I'll, I'll let you decide, sir. I'll let you. I'm looking Wait forward a to the, the candidate. Just threw it back to the member of media to to plan a debate. That's that. I'm looking work for that the debates that uh, I'm already agreed to participate in. I'm looking forward to debating with the other candidates for sure about the big issues. But I think you'd make the case it'd be very unfair to take to do it by polling to do it i don't by care what do i care about everybody else i care about selling my own vision so whatever happens happens i'm going to be at all of them and yeah. you know me i'm not going to shy away from uh, uh fighting for the citizens of toronto so whatever happens happens i'll be there i'm sure this uh legal action if you become mayor you announced this morning at union station you'll commence legal action against MetroLinks. uh you would you allege they've breached their contract i don't i i think that 
That's that's a provable commodity, but you also reference persistent failures. That is probably universal, to be honest, <laughs> among Torontonians, that regardless of what we think or how much we'd use the Eglinton LRT or how much we'd use the Ontario line, that there have been persistent failures. I think that's an accurate statement. This didn't just transpire yesterday, but I think all of us of any political stripe or even if we feel politically homeless, we watched Caroline Mulroney speak yesterday. We watched the, uh, the, the, you know, the person who runs Metrolinks, and we were eminently frustrated that nobody took any accountability and nobody has any future plan. It's one thing to say, hey, I don't know how this happened, but here we are now. But I don't think we even got that. And the residents of Toronto and city council are expected to just take it, to fold, to accept it, to not even make a peep. And you know what, Greg? That's how it's been the past number of years. City council hasn't made noise about this. The mayor's office has not been standing up for the residents of Toronto because the first delay, oh, okay, fine. The first cost overrun, oh, okay, fine. Now we learn yesterday over 250 deficiencies, no credible timeline to deliver on this. Meanwhile, Greg, the folks who live along Eglinton, the businesses along Eglinton, it gets worse and worse, which is why after I studied all these contracts I have here that uh, a this, lot of contracts. between the city and Metrolinx and the province, and we looked at this document, it is clear that they are in breach of contract. And that is why, as mayor, as soon as I get into the mayor's office, we will be suing Metrolinx for breach of contract and damages, and I will redistribute part of those funds to the affected businesses and BIAs along Eglinton. It's time to start making some noise. This is incompetence at its worst. Someone needs to light a fire under these guys' rears. So Get how, them going. How critical are you of the Ford government that Metrolinx is, in essence, an arm and a not very transparent arm of the provincial government and Doug Ford and the provincial government? And yes, Kathleen Wynne prior to have done very little about Metrolinx and, and making them give answers. Transportation Minister Caroline Maroney is saying, oh, it's the contractors. We're concerned about the contractors, but it's her job to manage the contractors. Go and do your job. And the problem is Metrolinx and the ministry are trying to pass the buck, but they're the ones responsible for this. This is all about managing the public purse, managing the public contractors. She wants to blame Dalton McGinty, who who commenced all of this. I mean, do you remember that guy? That guy was premier like however many times ago. I mean, okay, fine. It's a bit of a scandal that this project is still going on when we look at other major projects that are finished in a much shorter period of time, but they've inherited it. They have to take responsibility for it. And now we got the head of Metrolinx apparently saying, Brian Lilly's reporting, that he wants another race. He's making 500K a few years ago. They brought him up to 800. Now he's saying he got to be north of a million dollar salary. No. And it's not up to him to get more money. I think I think the folks in Toronto, the the the, the, the longtime aggrieved folks in Toronto and the Eglinton businesses, they need some cash. If you were premier of the province, would you have fired Phil Verster, Metrolink's boss, by now? Fired him? I'm calling here for an independent reviewer to look into this. And that is in the contract, by the way. When things get to this breakdown, you can get a reviewer to go, what's in these contracts? Why aren't they managing them? Because the lead job of the head of Metrolinks is to manage these projects and to manage the contractors. So his key job, it seems like he's not fulfilling it. And I don't know. I don't know, Greg, how you think of the terms of your job, how most people think of the terms of their job. If you're not fulfilling the key condition of your job, I think you got to go. How much of this, though, can uh, a mayor do and how much can city council do? I, I document. We just talked about Carol. You can make Mulroney, noise about it. Doug That's Ford. the problem. You can make noise about it. Yeah. But and we've got to because we've been complacent for too long. Oh, don't ruffle feathers. Don't. Oh, it's only natural that this will. Pre- it's only natural the cost overruns. No, we allow one or two, which we have had. We are at like the level here where this has gone on for way too long. Of course it and is. That's why we need to make noise 
and why we need to sue them for breach of contract, because we shouldn't have to keep shouldering the negatives. But here. will somebody make the point we're we're a bankrupt city right now. We need to cut more than we need to spend and a court case and court costs are going to are going to pile up. Well, and we'll go after lengthy. them. And, Met- and Metrolinx has a lot of they, they could have lawyers stretch this out to the point where it really, ta- no pun intended, taxes the city in terms of a court case. Let's be clear on one thing here, Greg. This is this would not be the only court case going on right now. There are lawsuits going on where the contractors are suing Metrolinx. Everyone's suing each other. The city of Toronto is the only one not getting in the game and making noise and making their voice heard. We're actually the little guy in all of this. And I'm saying, let's not be the little guy anymore. Let's stand up. Let's stand up tall and broad-shouldered and say, we're not going to take it anymore. Because the rest of these guys are actually fighting each other over this. And we're just expected to shoulder the negatives. I'm going to say, no, the folks of Toronto... They need the taxpayers need protection. The mm. residents of Eglinton, the businesses on Eglinton, they need protection. And we're going to make some space at the table for our voices here. He's Anthony Fury. He's running for mayor June 26th. We got to have a longer chat about a lot more issues than that. But this is the news of the day. Um, a potential lawsuit, legal action against Metrolinks over the Eglinton Crosstown fiasco, as you call it. And not many people would deny that effort. Uh, fiasco. Thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure, Greg. Thank you, sir. Anthony Fury. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The Brady house is in a little bit of a crisis this morning because I have left my wife with a car that has no available with a car findable keys of any sort. I, you know, you get your car and you end up having Two sets of keys. I think that's a, that wouldn't have happened in 1968 or probably even 1988. You got one car key set. Don't lose them. But we get two, and I think that makes us a little lax, Sheba, around the household. How many like how many sets of keys do you have for your vehicles? I have two for each one. Right. Like somehow. Now I'm just going to tell you that the Brady House needs um, three, maybe five. We need more mm-hmm. sets of car keys. As, okay, so as I have mayor, questions. I will demand that all households <laughs> get five sets of car keys when they buy a used or new car. That's my pro- That's my platform. Hmm. We'll run as a team, and then I'll tell everybody they can work from home five days a week, and then they'll never even need their car keys. Now, I bet you that I should have let her know by now at 7.22 a.m. That you she- haven't let her know? No, she'll figure it out, I think. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> I have questions here. I have questions. I bet so you do. Do each of you have a primary car? Or do you just swap whenever? There are some swaps that happen. I'd rather take the smaller car. It's newer. It's better on gas. I don't need seven seats. Um, I've had to drive Gord home a couple times. Yeah. You know, but I, I think I drove you in the smaller car. Oh, um, not the luxurious so, one? So I think there's, okay, so there's not, not, there's not a set male uh, car, female car, husband car, oh, wife really? car. No. Do you have that? Yeah. Because we will both get annoyed if something is moved around or there's like garbage left or there's something uh, in each of or, our vehicles. Or the, yeah. or the tank is on empty, which happens. <laughs> well, I'm well we don't tell drive you. each other's vehicle. It's rare. Like he will drive my van when we're going out as a family. But then other other than that, no. Like I respect my van, respect the way that I put things, where I put things. And then I'll do the same in yours. I'm like, well, I think once I left like a Starbucks wrapper in his vehicle or like a cup or something. There was a big family meeting about it. I think I got Whoa. an email. Well, there's good. yeah, there was an email oh, sent to me. I, wow. yeah. uh, uh, an email respecting for a meeting? people's spaces. No, an email <laughs> for like respecting each other's spaces, which I would have been very annoyed if he left a cup in my vehicle. As they so, say now, should, have, should about, it have been a meeting or should it have been just an email? I mean, that gets asked <laughs> in every right. workplace in this day and age, doesn't it? But here's my question to you then: How do you? Whose fault is this? Who lost the? Key? I think I know, but who lost I, the keys? I'm not okay. I think when we went away at, at 
uh, Christmas time, we we knew where there were four sets. But I remember leaving that day for the airport and thinking, huh, we want to hide the car keys. We don't want to leave the keys right by the door, right? Because we're gone for a while and there's all this fob yeah. stuff that that it could potentially happen. And maybe one of our cars isn't there when we get back. But I remember thinking on December 27th, 2022, I can only find one set for the smaller car. Now, you'd ask me, Brady, have you looked um, with any great effort to find that second set since December oh 20? Yeah, I know. I haven't. <laughs> it's and been five months. It's been Four five months. months. And and so last night, now I'm worried because I told you what a great job I did opening the Brady family pool. I'm worried the keys might be outside on the back deck, but I don't oh know that goodness. that's true or not. And wow. it's raining today. It's been so through the snow, through the storms, all of that has just been sitting there. All I know winter. you and Rachel haven't met yet. Would you like to call her and tell her that she doesn't have car keys for the? Honestly, my heart goes out to her on a weekly basis. <laughs> weekly? Yes. There's your promo. They, they come. They come pretty naturally in this day and age. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto.